19. I did not feel at all well when I woke. I lay in a bed, somewhere in the new palace. It was nighttime, and the walls glowed, though far more strangely than they had in sky. Here, the dark swirls in the stone reduced the light, though the flecks of white within each gleamed like tiny stars, beautiful but dim. Someone had hung lanterns from looping protrusions on the walls, which seemed to have been created for that purpose. I almost laughed at this, because it meant that after 2,000 years, the Aramary would now have to use candles to see by, like everyone else. I didn't laugh, because something had been shoved down my throat. With some effort, I groped about my face and found some tube in my mouth, held in place with bandages. I tried to tug it loose and gagged quite unpleasantly. Stop that. Deka's hand came into view, pushing mine away. Be still and I'll remove it. I will not describe what the removal felt like. Suffice it to say that if I had still been a god, I would have cursed Deka to three hells for putting that thing in me. Though only the nicer hells, since he meant well. Afterward, as I sat panting and trying to forget the fear that I might die choking on my own vomit, Deka moved to the edge of the bed beside me. He rubbed my back gently and slowly. A warning. Feel better? Yes. My voice was rough, and my throat dry and sore, but that would fade. I was more troubled by the awful weakness in every limb and joint. I looked at one of my hands and was stunned. The skin was dry and loose, more wrinkled than smooth. What? You need nourishment. He sounded very tired. Your body had begun to devour itself. One of my scriveners came up with this. I think it saved your life. Saved? And then I remembered. Call. My forget. My mind shied away from both the thought and my mother's warning though it was too late for either. The knowledge was free, the damage done. Mirror. I whispered it, hoarse. One appeared nearby, full length on a wheeled wooden pivot stand. I had no idea how it had been conjured, but when Deka got up and tilted it toward me, I forgot the mystery of the mirror. I stared at myself for a long, long time. It could have been much worse. Deka said while I sat there. We, the Scriveners, didn't know what was wrong with you. Our warning scripts led us to you. Then Lordy Tempest revived and told us what needed to be done. I was able to work a negation script to work in tandem with a loop interrupt. He trailed off. I wasn't listening anyway. It had worked. That was all that mattered. We stopped the age acceleration. We repaired what we could. Three of your ribs were broken, your sternum was cracked, one lung punctured. There was some bruising to your heart, a dislocated shoulder. He stopped again when I reached out to touch the mirror. My face was still handsome at least, though no longer boyishly pretty. This was not my doing. My body was growing how it wanted now, and I could have ended up pudgy and bald. I'd gone mostly gray at the temples, though there was plenty threaded through the rest of my hair, which was long again tangled into knots on the sheets behind me. The shape of my face was not so different, just softer. Timmons tended to age well in that respect. 
The texture of my skin, however, was thicker, drier, weathered, even though it had seen little of the outdoors. There were deep-set lines around my mouth, finer ones at the corner of my eyes, and I was looking decidedly grizzled, though thankfully someone had shaved me. If I kept my mouth shut and dressed right, I might be able to do distinguished. When I lowered my hand, it took more effort to move. Slower reflexes, softer muscles. I was skinny again, though not nearly as bad as after the last mortaling. The food tube had kept me in healthy flesh, but it was definitely weaker, less resilient flesh. I'm too old for you now, I said very softly. Deka pushed aside the mirror, saying nothing. That silence hurt, because I took it to mean he agreed with me. Not that I blamed him. But then Dega lay down beside me and pulled me to lie with him, draping an arm across my chest. You need to rest. I closed my eyes and tried to turn away from him, but he wouldn't let me, and I was too tired to struggle. All I could do was turn my face away. Aren't you too old to sulk, too? I ignored him and sulked anyway. It wasn't fair. I had wanted so much to make him mine. Deka sighed, nuzzling the back of my neck. I'm too tired to talk sense into you, Sia. Stop being stupid and go to sleep. There's a lot going on right now, and I could use your help. He was the strong one, young and brilliant, with a bright future. I was nothing. Just a fallen god and a terrible father. Even to think this hurt, grinding agony throughout my body like a headache with serrated teeth. I bit my lip and focused on loneliness and self-pity instead, which was better. But I was still tired. Deka's arm, draped over my chest, made me feel safe. And though it was an illusion, doomed like all things mortal, I resolved to enjoy it while I could, and slept again. When I woke next, it was morning. Sunlight shone through the walls. The bedroom was illuminated in shades of white and green. Deka was gone from beside me. Glee was in the room instead, sitting beside the bed in a big chair. I knew it was a mistake to trust you, she said. I was feeling stronger, and my temper, at least, had not mellowed with age. I sat up, creaky, stiff, and glared at her. Good morning to you, too. She looked as tired as Deka, her clothing more disheveled than I had ever seen it, though still neat by standards of average mortals. But when the daughter of Etempis wears unmatched clothing with her blouse half undone at the top, she might as well be a beggar from the ancestor's village. She had, as perhaps a final concession to exhaustion, bottled her thunderstorm of hair rather than style it with her usual careless confidence. A tie pulled into a fluffy bun at the nape of her neck. It did not suit her. All you had to do, she said tightly, was shout Yaney's name. It was twilight. She would have heard you. She and Naha would have come and dealt with Kal, and that would have been that. I flinched, because she was right. It was the sort of thing a mortal would have thought to do. Well, where the hells were you? This was a weak repost. Her failure did not negate mine. I am not a god. I didn't know he'd been attacked. She sighed, lifting a hand to rub her eyes, 
her frustration was so palpable that the very air tasted bitter. Father didn't use his spear to summon me until Call was long gone. His first thought, upon returning to life, was of you. If I had still been a child, I would have felt a small and petty pleasure at this hint of her jealousy. But my body was older now. I could no longer be childish. I just felt sad. I'm sorry, I said. She only nodded, bleak. Because I felt stronger, I took in more of my surroundings this time. We were in the bedchamber of an apartment. I could see another room beyond the doorway, brighter lit. There must have been windows. The walls and floor were bare of personal touches, though I glimpsed clothes hanging neatly in a large closet across the room. Some of them were the ones Morad had given me before we'd left Skye. Apparently, Deka had told the servants I was living with him. Pushing aside the covers, I got to my feet, slowly and carefully, as my knees hurt. I was naked, too, which was unfortunate as I seemed to have sprouted hair from an astonishing variety of body parts. Glee would just have to endure, I decided, and made my way to the closet to dress. Did Takarta explain what has happened? Glee had composed herself. She sounded brisk and professional again. Aside from me taking a great flying leap toward death, no. All my clothes had been made for a younger man. They would look ridiculous on me now. I sighed and pulled on the most boring of what I found and wished for shoes that might somehow ease the ache in my knees. Something flickered at the edge of my vision. I turned, startled, and saw a pair of boots sitting on the floor. Each had good stiff leather about the ankles, and when I picked one up, I saw it had thick padding in the sole. I turned to Glee and held up the boot in wordless query. Echo, she said. The palace's walls listen. I see. I did not. She looked fleetingly amused. Ask for something, or even think of it with enough longing, and it appears. The palace seems to clean itself as well. And it even arranges furniture and decor. No one knows why. Some remnant of the lady's power, perhaps. Or perhaps some property that has been permanently built in. She paused. If it is permanent, there will be little need for servants here going forward. And little need for the old age divisions between high bloods and low, among Aramary family members. I smiled down at the boot. How like Yaney. Where is Deka? I asked. He left this morning. Shahar has kept him busy since Kal's attack. He and the Scriveners have been setting up all manner of defensive magics, internal gates, and even scripts that can move the palace, though not with any great speed. When he hasn't been here, tending you, he's been working. I paused in the middle of pulling on pants. How long have I been, er, uh, incapacitated? Almost two weeks. More of my life slept away. I sighed and resumed dressing. Morad has been busy organizing the palace's operations and preparing sufficient living quarters for the high bloods, Glee continued. Ramina has even put the courtiers to work. Remeth has begun transferring power to Shahar, which requires endless paperwork and meetings with the military, the nobles, the order. She shook her head and sighed. And since none of those are permitted to come here, the palace's gates and message spheres have seen heavy use. 
Only Remeth's orders keep Shahar here, and no doubt if Dekka were not first scrivener and essential to making the palace ready, she would have him visiting 50,000 kingdoms as her proxy. I frowned, going to the mirror to see if anything could be done about my hair. It was far too long, nearly to my knees. Someone had cut it already, I suspected, because given my usual pattern, it should have been long enough to fill the room by this point. I willed scissors to appear on a nearby dresser, and they did, almost like being a god again. What's the urgency? I asked. Has something happened? I hacked clumsily at my hair, which of course offended Glee. She made a sound of irritation coming over to me and taking the scissors from my hand. The urgency is all Remeth's. She worked quickly, at least. I saw hanks of hair fall to the floor around my feet. She was leaving it too long, brushing my collar, but at least I wouldn't trip on it now. She seems convinced that the transition must be completed sooner rather than later. Perhaps she has told Shahar the reason for her haste. If so, Shahar has not shared this knowledge with the rest of us. Glee shrugged. I turned to her, hearing the unspoken. How has Shahar been, then, as queen of her own little kingdom? Sufficiently Aramary which was both reassuring and troubling. Finishing, Glee brushed off my back and set the scissors down. I looked at myself in the mirror and nodded thanks, then immediately ran my fingers through my hair to make it look messier. This annoyed Glee further. She turned away, her lips pursed in disapproval. Shahar wanted to be informed when you are up and about, so I let a servant know when you began to stir. Expect a summons shortly. Fine, I'll be ready. I followed Glee out of the bedchamber and into a wide, nicely apportioned room of couches and sidebars that smelled of Deka, though it did not at all feel like him. No books. One whole wall of this room was a window, overlooking the bridge-linked tiers of the palace and the placid ocean beyond. The sky was blue and cloudless, noonday bright. So what now? I asked, going to stand at the window. For you, any tempest? I assume Naha and Yeni are searching for call. As are Ahad and his fellow godlings. But the fact that they have not yet found him, and did not prior to his attack, suggests that he has always had some means of hiding from us. Perhaps he simply retreats to wherever Inifa kept him hidden before now. That worked well enough for millennia. Dar, I said. The mask was there. Not anymore. Immediately after leaving here, Kahl went to Dar and took the mask. To be precise, he forced a young Daran man to pick up the mask and took him. The Dar are furious. When Yeni arrived, searching for Kahl, they told her everything. Glee folded her arms, the expression on her face very familiar. Apparently, Kahl approached Usain Dar's grandmother more than 50 years ago. He showed them how to combine the art of mask making with scrivening techniques and God's blood and they took it further still. In exchange, he claimed the best of their mask makers and had them work on a special project for him. He killed them, Sia, when they'd done whatever work he needed. The Dar say the mask grew more powerful, and Kal grew less able to approach it himself, with every life he gave it. I knew what Kal was doing now. That sickening churn of wild, raw power I'd felt near the mask, like a storm, the three had been born from something like that. A new god could be made from something similar. 
but he'd killed mortals to give it power? That I didn't understand. Mortals were children of the maelstrom, it was true. We all were, however distant. But the power of the three was a volcano to mortals' candle flames. Mortal strength was so much lesser than ours as to be, well, nothing. If Call wanted to create himself anew as a god, he would need far more power than that. I sighed, rubbing my eyes. Didn't I have enough to worry about? Why did I have to deal with all these mortal issues too? Because I am mortal. Ah, yes. I kept forgetting. Glee said nothing more, so I experimented with wishing for food and the precise meal I wanted, a bowl of soup and cookies shaped like cute prey animals, appeared on a nearby table. No need for servants indeed, I mused as I ate. That would serve the family's security interests well, as they would have no need to hire non-Aramary. There would always be a need for certain tasks to be done, though, like running errands, and the Aramary were the Aramary. Those with power would always find some way to exert it over those who didn't. Yanny was naive to hope that such a simple change might free the family from its historic obsession with status. Still, I was glad for her naivete. That was always the nicest thing about having a newborn god around. They were willing to try things the rest of us were too jaded even to consider. The knock at the door came just as I finished eating. Come. A servant stepped inside, bowing to both of us. Lord Sia, Lady Shahar requests your presence, if you are feeling better. I looked at Glee, who inclined her head to me. This could have meant anything from hurry up to hope she doesn't kill you. With a sigh, I rose and followed the servant out. Shahar had not chosen the temple as her seat of power. Already it had acquired capital letter status in my heart, because what I had done there with Deka was holy. The servant led us instead to a chamber deep within the palace's heart, directly below the central high platform that had already come to be called the Whirl. Deka and his crew had been busy, I saw as we walked. Transport sigils had been painted at intervals throughout the palace's corridors and painted over with resin in order to protect them from scuffing or wear. They did not work like the lifts in sky. Standing on one sent a person anywhere they willed themselves to go within the palace, not merely up and down. This was awkward if one had never been to a particular location. When I asked the servant about this, he smiled and said, The first time we go anywhere, we go on foot. Steward Murad's orders. Just the kind of eminently sensible thing I expected of her, especially given that with servants so sparse, she could not afford to lose even one to oblivion. Since the servant had been to the audience chamber before, I allowed him to control the magic, and we appeared in a space of cool, flickering light. Echo was more translucent than sky, reflecting more of whatever colors surrounded it. By this, I guessed immediately that we were somewhere beneath the waterline of the palace, which was confirmed as we passed a row of windows. I saw an expanse of glimmering, shadow-flickering blueness and a passing curious fish. I grinned in delight at Shahar's cleverness. Not only would her audience chamber be safer underwater than the rest of the palace, but also any visitors, the few who would be permitted to see her in person, would instantly be awed by the alien beauty of the fish's eye view. There was a certain symbolism to the choice as well, as the Aramary now served the Lady of Balance. 
Shahar's safety would depend on the strength of the walls and windows and the equilibrium they could maintain against the weight of the water. It was perfect. And even though I'm a god, it was I who stopped when we entered the audience chamber, staring about in awe. The chamber was small, as befit a space that would never be used by many people. Echo would have little need of the tricks that Skye had employed to intimidate and impress visitors, like vaulted ceilings and proportions meant to make supplicants feel unimportant before the great stone throne. This room was shaped like Echo itself, a descending spiral, though with small alcoves surrounding the depressed central space. In the alcoves, I glimpsed some of the soldiers who had come with us at guard. Then I noticed more shadowy figures interspersing them, these crouched and oddly still, the ever-elusive Aramary assassins. A poor choice, I decided. They made it too obvious that Shahar felt the need to guard herself from her own family. When I finally stopped boggling, I noticed that Dekka had preceded me. He knelt before the chamber's depression, not looking up, though he'd probably heard me. I stopped beside him, emphatically not kneeling. The seat we faced was almost humble, just a wide, curving stool lined with a cushion, low-backed. Yet the room was structured so that every eye was drawn to it, and all of the flickering ocean light coming through the chamber's windows met in overlapping waves there. Had Shahar been sitting on the stool? She would have seemed unworldly, especially if she sat still, like a goddess herself. Instead, she stood near one of the room's windows, her hands behind her back. In the cool light, she was almost unnoticeable, the folds of her pale gown lost amid flickering blueness. Her stillness troubled me. But then, what about this little scene didn't? I had spent centuries in chambers like this, facing Aramary leaders. I knew danger when I sensed it. When the servant knelt to murmur to Shahar, she nodded and then raised her voice, Guards, leave! They exited with no hesitation. The assassins did so by slipping out through small doors in each alcove, which the servant also used to leave at Shahar's quiet demand. Presently, she and I and Dakarta were alone. Dekka rose to his feet, glancing once at me. His face was unreadable. I nodded to him, then slipped my hands into my pockets and waited. We had not seen Shahar since that moment in the temple, when she had witnessed our claiming of each other. Mother has accelerated the schedule again. Shahar said, not turning to us. I asked her to reconsider, or at least send more help. She has agreed to do the latter. You will receive ten scriveners from the Sky Compliment by tomorrow afternoon. That will do more harm than good, Deka said, scowling. New people need to be trained, shown around, supervised. Until they're ready, that will slow down my teams, not speed up the work. Shahar sighed. I could hear the weariness in her voice though I also heard her struggle to contain it. It was the only concession I could gain, Deka. She's like a heretic these days, filled with a fervor no rational person can comprehend. In this, I also heard a hint of sourness that I was certain she only revealed because we would have detected it anyway. Was she upset about Remeth's decision to turn from the Etempan faith? A pointless concern, given all our other troubles. Why? Who can say? If I had the time to conspire against her, I might accuse her of madness and seek backers within the family for a coup. Though perhaps that's why she sent me here. 
where I'm less of a danger. She laughed once, then turned and paused, staring at me. I sighed while she took in my new middle-aged shape. It surprised me that she smiled. There was nothing malicious in it, just compassion and a hint of pity. You should look like my father, she said. But with that look of disgust on your face, it's clear you're still the same bratty little boy we met all those years ago. I smiled in spite of myself. I don't mind so much, I said. At least I'm done with adolescence. Never could stand it. If I don't want to kill someone, I want to have sex with them. Her smile faded, and I remembered. I had lain with her while we were both adolescents. Perhaps she had fond memories of what I now joked about. A mistake on my part. She sighed, turning to Pace. I will have to rely on you, both of you, more than ever. What is happening now is unprecedented. I have checked the family's archives. I truly don't know what Mother is thinking. She stopped at last, pressing her fingers against her forehead as if she had a terrible headache. She's making me the family head. There was a moment of silence as we both processed her words. Deka reacted before I did, stricken. How can you be head if she still lives? Precisely. It's never been done before. She turned to us suddenly, and we both flinched at the raw misery in her face. Deka, I think she's preparing to die. Deka went to her at once, ever the loving brother, taking her elbow. She leaned on him with such utter trust that I felt unexpected guilt. Had she come seeking us for comfort that night, only to find us comforting one another, uninterested in her? What had she felt, watching us make love while she stood alone, friendless, hopeless? For just an instant, I saw her again at the window, stock still, her hands behind her back. I saw a tempest gazing at the horizon, stock still, too proud to let his loneliness show. I went to them and reached for her, hesitating only at the last moment, but I had not stopped loving her either. So I laid a hand on her shoulder. She started and lifted her head to look at me, her eyes bright with unshed tears. They searched mine, seeking, what, forgiveness? I wasn't certain I had that in me to give, but regret, yes, that I had. Naturally, I could not let such a powerful moment pass without a joke. And here I thought I had problem parents. It wasn't a very good joke. She chuckled, blinking quickly against the tears and trying to compose herself. Sometimes I wish I still wanted to kill her. It was a better joke. Or it would have been if there had been a grain of truth in it. I smiled anyway, though uncomfortably. Deka did not smile at either joke. But Remeth had no interest in him, and he probably did want to kill her. It seemed Deka was thinking along the same lines. If she steps down in favor of you, he said, all seriousness, you will have to exile her. Shahar flinched, staring at him. What? He sighed. No beast can function with two heads. To have two Aramary palaces, two Aramary rulers, he shook his head. If you cannot see the potential danger in that, Shahar, you aren't the sister I remember. She was, and she could. I saw her expression harden as she understood. She turned away from us, going back to the window and folding her arms across her breasts. 
I'm surprised you've suggested only exile. I would have expected a more permanent solution from you, brother. He shrugged. Mother doubtless expects something along those lines herself. She's not a fool, and she's trained you well. He paused. If you didn't love her, I would suggest it, but under the circumstances. She laughed once, harshly. Yes, love, so inconvenient. She turned then, looking at both of us, and suddenly I tensed again, because I knew that look. I had worn it too many times, in too many shapes, not to recognize it on another being. She was up to no good. Yet when she focused on me, the look softened. Sia, she said, are we friends again? Lie. The thought came to me so strongly that for an instant I thought it was not my own. Dega, perhaps, sending his words into my mind as gods could. But I knew the flavor of my own thoughts, and this had the particular bitter suspicion that came of years spent with this mad family and eons of life amid my own matter one. She wanted the truth, and the truth would hurt her. And she was too powerful now, too dangerous, for me to hurt with impunity. For the sake of what we'd once had, however, she deserved the truth, painful or not. No, I said. I spoke softly, as if that would ease the blow. She stiffened and I sighed. I can't trust you, Shahar. I need to trust the people I call friend. I paused. But I understand why you betrayed me. Perhaps I would have even made the same choice in your position. I don't know. I'm not angry about it anymore. I can't be, given the result. And then I did something stupid. I looked at Deka and let my love for him show. He blinked, surprised, and I added insult to injury by smiling. It would hurt so much leaving him. But he did not need an old man for a lover. Such things mattered for mortals. I would do the mature thing, preserve my dignity, and step aside before our relationship grew too awkward. I have always been a selfish fool. I thought only of myself in that moment, when I should have thought of protecting him. Shahar's face went utterly blank. It was as though someone had thrust a knife into her and cut out her soul, leaving only a cold and implacable statue in her place. But it was not empty, this statue. Anger had filled its hollows. I see, she said. Very well. If you cannot trust me, then I can hardly allow myself to trust you, can I? Her eyes flickered over to Deka, still cold. That puts me in a difficult position, brother. Deka frowned, puzzled by the change in Shahar's manner. I, however, was not. It was all too easy to see what she meant to do to her brother in her rage at me. Don't, I whispered. Dekarta, she said, ignoring me. It pains me to say this, but I must ask that you accept a true sigil. When Deka stiffened, she smiled. I hated her for that. I, of course, would never presume to dictate your choice of lover, she said. But in light of Sia's history, the many Aramari he has slain through his tricks and deceptions, I don't believe this. Deka was trembling, fury clawing through the shock on his face. But beneath that fury was something much worse, and again I knew it by experience. Betrayal. He had trusted her too, and she had broken his heart as she had broken mine. 
Shahar, I clenched my fists. Don't do this. Whatever you feel toward me, Deka is your brother. And I am being generous even to let him live, she snapped. She walked away from us, going to sit on the stool. There, she was poised and implacable. Her slim form washed in ice water light. He just implied that I should kill the head of this family. Clearly, he needs the restrictions of a true sigil, lest he plot further treachery. And this would have nothing to do with me fucking your little brother instead of you. My fists clenched. I stepped forward, intending, gods, I didn't know, to grab her arm and make her see reason, to shout into her face. She tensed as I came near, though and the sigil on her brow turned to white light. I knew what that meant, had felt the whip sting too often in the past. But that had been a mortal lifetime ago. I was not prepared when a slash of raw magic threw me across the room. It didn't kill me, didn't even hurt much compared to the agony that Call's revelation had caused. The blast threw me upside down against the window. A passing squid seemed fascinated by my shoelaces on the glass. What amused me, even as I lay there dazed and struggling to right myself, was that Shahar's sigil had only treated me as a threat now, in my useless mortal form. She had never truly feared me when I was a god. Deka pulled me up. Tell me you're all right. Fine, I said muzzily. My knees hurt more, and my back was killing me, but I refused to admit that. I blinked and managed to focus on Shahar. She hovered, half standing above her seat. Her eyes were wide and stricken. That made me feel better, at least. She hadn't meant it. Decca meant it, however, as he let me go and got to his feet. I felt the black pulse of his magic, heavy as a god's, and thought for a moment that I heard the echoing sibilance of the air as he turned to face his sister. Decca, she began. He spoke a word that cracked the air, and thunder roiled in its wake. She cried out, arching backward and clapping both hands over her forehead, half falling over her seat. When she struggled upright a moment later, there was blood on her fingers and streaking her face. She lowered her trembling hand, and I saw the raw, scorched wound where her semi-sigil had been. Mother is a fool, Deka said, his voice echoing and cold. I love you, and she thinks that keeps you safe from me but I would rather kill you myself than watch you become the kind of monster this family is infamous for producing. His right arm levered away from his side, stick straight, though his hand hung loose, the back of his fingers caressing the air like a lover. I remembered the meaning of the markings on that arm and realized he really was going to kill her. Deka, Shahar shook her head, trying to clear blood from her eyes. She looked like the victim of some disaster, though the disaster had not yet struck. I didn't see a, is he all, I can't see. I touched Deka's other arm and found the muscles as tight as woven rope. Power tingled against my fingers through his shirt. Deka, don't. You would do the same if you still could, he snapped. I considered this, he knew me so well true, but it would be wrong for you. That caused his head to whip toward me. What? I sighed and stepped in front of him. 
though the power that coiled around him pressed warningly against my skin. Scriveners were not gods, but Deka was not just a scrivener, and it was as a brother god that I touched his arm and gently, firmly, guided it back to his side. Gestures were a form of communication. Mine said, listen to me. And his power withdrew to consider my suggestion. I saw his eyes widen as he realized what I had done. She is your sister, I said. You're strong, Deka, so strong, and they are fools to forget that you're Aramary too. Murder is in your blood. But I know you, and if you kill her, it will destroy you. I can't let you do that. He stared at me, trembling with warring urges. I have never seen such deadly rage mingled with loving sorrow. But I think it must have been what Etempus felt when he killed Anifa, a kind of madness that only time and reflection can cure, though by then, usually, it is too late. But he listened to me and let the magic go. I turned to Shahar who had finally gotten the blood out of her eyes. By the look on her face, she had only just begun to realize how close she'd come to death. We're leaving, I said. I am anyway, and I'm going to ask Deka to come with me. If you've decided that we're your enemies, we can't stay here. If you're wise, you'll leave us be, I sighed. You haven't been very wise today, but I suspect that's a one-time aberration. I know you'll come to your senses eventually. I just don't feel like waiting around for it to happen. Then I took Deka's hand, looking up at him. His expression had gone bleak. He knew I was right, but I would not press him. He'd spent ten years trying to get back to his sister, and she'd undone that in ten minutes. Such things were not easy for any mortal to bear, or any god for that matter. Deka's hand squeezed mine, and he nodded. We turned to leave the audience chamber. Shahar stood behind us. Wait, she said, but we ignored her. When I opened the door, however, everything changed. We stopped in surprise at the noise of many voices, raised and angry. Beyond the main corridor, I glimpsed soldiers running and heard shouts. Immediately before us was Morad, her face red with fury. She was shouting at the guards who'd crossed pikes in front of the chamber's entrance. When the door opened, the guard started, and Morad grabbed at one of the pikes, half yanking it away before the guard cursed and tightened his grip. Where is Shahar? she demanded. I will see her. Shahar came up behind us. It was a measure of Morad's agitation that she did not blink at the sight of the heir's bloody face. What has happened, Morad? I heard the thinness of the calm veneer on Shahar's voice. She had composed herself, just. Maskers have attacked Shadow, Murad said. We stood there, stunned into silence. Behind her, a troop of soldiers came tearing around the corner, running toward us. Wrath was behind them, walking with the ominous deliberation of a general preparing for war. All around us, I could feel a hollow thrum as whatever protective magics Decker Scriveners had put into place came alive. Seals for the gates, invisible walls to keep out foreign magics. Who knew what else? How many maskers? asked Shahar. She spoke more briskly now, all business. After the worst had passed, I would remember this moment. 
I would see the false calm on Murad's face and hear the real anguish in her voice and pity her all the more. A servant and a queen were as doomed as a mortal and a god. Some things could not be helped. All of them, Murad said.